0: You're listening to a podcast appearing on the Two Guys Talking Podcast Network. Welcome to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast, hosted by me, Dr. Mark Halstead. In this podcast, I cover common problems and injuries young athletes may face and ways to keep your kids healthy and as safe as possible while participating in sports. Leading experts in the field will join me to give you the best advice and what is the the state-of-the-art in thinking about issues young athletes may face. If you have a stake in the health of young athletes, whether as a parent or coach or even a young athlete yourself, this is the podcast for you. Join me as I bring you the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. Whether it's indoors, on a court, or outdoors in a backyard, or even on the beach, volleyball is no question a popular year-round sport. Today on the podcast, we'll be talking all things volleyball, touching on the common injuries we see, some ways for possible prevention of these injuries, and more. I'm Dr. Mark Halstead, your host, and you are listening to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. My guest today is a fellow former Wisconsin Badger, Dr. Chris Koutouris. He is a sports medicine physician practicing in Southern California. He earned his medical degree from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine in Madison and completed his pediatric residency also at the University of Wisconsin at the Children's Hospital. He followed that up with a sports medicine fellowship with University of California, San Diego. He currently serves as the team physician for the U.S. men's and women's national volleyball teams, Cal State Fullerton Intercollegiate Athletics, Chapman University Dance Department, and Orange Lutheran Athletics. In 2008, Dr. Koutouris fulfilled a lifelong dream by serving as the medical team physician for USA Volleyball and Table Tennis in the 2008 Beijing Summer Olympics. He has served in the Executive Committee for the American Academy of Pediatrics Council on Sports Medicine and Fitness and still acts as the editor for their newsletter. He's authored numerous articles and was the co-editor of a textbook, Pediatric Sports Medicine Essentials for Office Evaluation in 2013. Welcome to the
1: podcast, Chris. Mark, thank you so much for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: It's good having you. You were definitely on my short list of guests to have on our talk today about volleyball. We'll cover all sorts of topics today, but let's start off by just giving our listeners your background in the world of volleyball.
1: Well, about 15 years ago, I had the pleasure of starting to work with the U.S. men's volleyball team when they moved to Anaheim, California for their training base. And through working with them, realized and got to appreciate the sport, the athletes and the demands. In 2009, the women's national team moved to Anaheim. So I got the pleasure to work with them as well. People asked me if I've played volleyball at 5'8". Let's say I was more the back row kind of person playing casually with my friends But working with that level of volleyball athlete, it's been able to allow me to appreciate the demands and work with athletes from school age all the way up through our Olympic athletes.
0: Let's talk about specific injuries. Can you talk a little bit about how the demands of volleyball may put someone at risk for overuse injuries as well as traumatic injuries? We know that the shoulder, knee, and ankle are the most at risk in this sport. And I'm thinking in terms of what the athlete actually does in the sport that can put them at risk.
1: Well, volleyball is such a dynamic sport from, you know, the serve to receive to setting to hitting to playing defense. It's a whole body endeavor. As a result, we see injuries all the way from literally the head down to the feet because it's the type of sport where you have repetitive action. We see certain injuries at the shoulder, the back and the knee from, again, repetitive approaches to the net, the blocking, the hitting, the serving. And then it's just a fast action sport. And sometimes, especially at the youth levels, a little bit chaotic. And that's where we'll see more traumatic injuries, where people are diving into things, diving into each other. Maybe the communication's not the greatest. And we see more injuries that way.
0: When talking about injuries, let's start from the bottom up. We'll start with the ankle. The most common area we know from research that's been done on this for time loss from sport is by far in volleyball, the ankle. And ankle sprains, ankle injuries in general are super common or any other jumping sport for that matter, let's describe for our listeners what generally happens and what athletes may experience when they sprain their ankle.
1: Usually what will happen is the athlete will land on one foot and the foot will roll in. We call that inversion. Often they'll have pain on the outside of the ankle. They may or may not hear a snap. There could be some immediate swelling and often it's pretty tough for them to continue on the court. In a younger level of volleyball, this can be because, again, the play's a bit more chaotic, people run into each other, there's also what we call those net violations where people step over the line at the net, fall on each other's foot, or you can even take out a teammate if you're not spaced correctly. As we move up the ladder, we tend to see more injuries just by the fact that players have played for longer. They may have had a past history of ankle injuries. And as a result, even a pretty innocent landing, if not done correctly, could cause an injury because the ankle is not fully strong from those past injuries.
0: When we talk about ankle sprains, one of the things we try and emphasize is prevention. What's your thought about ankle braces? We hear all the time in our clinics of athletes being told by coaches that they shouldn't wear an ankle brace because it's going to weaken their ankle. Is there any truth to that statement?
1: You've touched on one of the biggest controversies, and I really don't think that there is enough data to say that wearing an ankle brace will weaken the ankle and or put additional stress on the knee or the hip or any other part of the body. When I've talked with my colleagues at USA Volleyball Sports Medicine, I think we all agree that especially for the younger athlete where the play is more chaotic, we do recommend braces. If an athlete has suffered an ankle injury, especially a first-time one, the biggest goal is to reduce future injuries. Once you've had two or three ankle sprains, it becomes much more common to sprain your ankle. So we tend to recommend bracing ahead of taping because most people can't tape themselves. And most of the time, tape is going to loosen up within about 30 minutes after it's being put on. Ankle braces, we do recommend, especially if you've had an injury for at least several months, but we don't use them in isolation. It's not just brace the athlete and send them right back on the court. The ideal situation is ankle bracing and then exercises to get the motion back of the ankle to reduce swelling, and then to build strength, not just at the ankle, but at the hip and the knee to reduce ankle injuries in the future.
0: I think that's really important. You know, it's not just a brace that we want to talk about. It's it's really the, the rehab and the strengthening afterwards. I, I mean, one of the easiest ways that I try and show this to our patients when they come in the office is I'll have them just stand on one foot and see how easy they can get up on a tiptoe on one side. And usually the injured side is so much more difficult for them to do that. And then they kind of get at the idea that, hey, maybe I do need to do something about this because that's a jumping thing that I need to have this working for. And once we kind of show them that very simple thing that they're having struggles with, then it kind of sinks in a little bit as far as why they really need to be doing some rehab and getting
1: that ankle stronger again. No doubt. I do the same thing. I'll get out my camera because, you know, sometimes one parent's not there or the coach seems to be kind of questioning things. And when you can show them a video, everybody sees it. The other thing I'll have them do is stand on one foot and do a single leg squat. And ideally, hip, knee, and ankle stay lined up. But a lot of times that knee caves in, the shin rotate, the foot collapses. And now we're looking at not just an ankle at risk, but the knee and the hip. So you're right, Mark. Some simple things we can do in the office can hopefully convert people to understanding how exercises can make them better. And
0: that's a perfect transition to our next area of talking about the knee in general. We know knee pain, knee injuries in general are common in volleyball. We talk about overuse. That could be all sorts of different forms of diagnoses depending on what age that person is at and where in their skeletal development they are because we certainly see a lot of overuse injuries to the growth areas in kids as they're still growing. But can you talk about the overuse injuries that we may see around the knee and then maybe touch also on some of the traumatic or acute injuries that we see?
1: Sure. you know If I work with a collegiate or post-collegiate volleyball player, I'll ask him or her, if you have you had any knee pain? If they say no, I know they're lying to me. Because volleyball, just with the jumping and the stopping and some of the lateral movement, side-to-side movement, creates a lot of pressure in the front of the knee. We call it jumper's knee. And so it's often when they're landing, often it's going to be pain between the kneecap and the shin bone. And they may not remember one particular jump, one particular match, just to build up over time. And it can be challenging because you're jumping hundreds times a match, sometimes playing several matches a day. So the number of stresses to that knee just adds up week by week. We know that if we can build strength up at the hip, if we can make the ankle more flexible, it will take pressure off the knee. We know if we can find the time to do dedicated strength training to the upper part of the leg, that can help. And that's tough when you've got a young athlete playing club volleyball, playing high school volleyball, and there really is no off-season. But if we can dedicate a six-week period to really building strength above the knee, that can reduce that jumper's knee. Then we look at the acute injury, the I landed awkwardly, and this can happen coming down from a jump. This can happen after a block, often a single-leg landing The knee will cave in, and that's a high-risk injury for either tearing the anterior cruciate ligament, which is the center of the knee, or even have the kneecap come out of position. And unfortunately, we see that far too often in the volleyball world, and those are injuries that take players off the court for multiple months.
0: And one of the things we emphasize with that, and this is especially for our female athletes, is something that... Dr. Couturis was alluding to before when we're having them do a single leg squat and we see that leg when they squat down, that knee just collapses inward. And that is definitely something that we see as a risk factor for our female athletes as far as tearing their ACL, the anterior cruciate ligament that was alluded to. And a lot of that is something that we're, you know, we try and emphasize some screening on. And if we can capture those kids at a younger age, we may have some ability to help reduce the likelihood of those injuries happening.
1: No doubt. And I think that key age is probably, we know that 14 to 18 years of age is the key time, probably because of where they are in maturation, plus the number of kids who are playing sport. Yet, if you can capture them as they're starting to go through puberty, they get those longer legs, they're having less strength at the hip area, that can make a huge difference. So when I've got athletes in my office, maybe late elementary, early middle school, I'm really trying to screen them, trying to identify if they're playing a higher sport, not just volleyball, soccer, lacrosse, basketball. It's an important thing to do. And I'm hoping that they take that information, share it with their coach and their teammates.
0: If we move up the body, we'll talk about the low back as our next point. A concern we have in any athlete that does a repetitive arching of their back, which we certainly see frequently in volleyball is developing a stress fracture in the back. You know, it was used to, at least when I went through my training, it was emphasized this was a big gymnastics problem, big swimmers problem. But, you know, as I've gone through my practice, as I'm sure you have over the last almost two decades now, certainly we see it in almost any sport, but volleyball is no less at risk for this. Can you talk a little bit about stress fractures in
1: the back? We see them in volleyball, unfortunately, way too often, and you think of the classic could be the setter, especially doing a lot of back sets where he or she is setting the ball behind and has to arch the back in order to make that set work. But we'll also see in our hitters, our opposites and our outsides, because often they're going to address the ball, rotate back to prepare to hit, and then have to follow through. And I think a special component I've learned with volleyball is if you suspect a back stress injury, obviously we're going to look at the back. But if you don't look at the shoulder, especially the hitting shoulder, you're going to miss where some of the issue is. If an athlete, for example, has tightness in the front of their hitting shoulder and can't rotate back fully at the shoulder, they're going to over-rotate at the lower back, causing pressure on the same side. So if they're right-handed, they're going to have a higher risk for a right-sided stress injury of the lower back. If they have limited follow-through, which is far too common in a hitter in volleyball, they're going to over-rotate and follow through at the lower back, putting that left side or the opposite side at higher risk. So I've been fascinated how many times I start by looking at the shoulder, I find some issues, and that's going to contribute to the problem at the lower back.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. You know, We talk about a lot the concept of the kinetic chain, that anything on your dominant arm at the tip of your finger that goes any way down to a plant leg, as an example, for a baseball player on their left foot, any of that process along there, if anything's not working correctly, that can definitely have an impact and effect on another area. So I I think that's where it's really important that if an athlete is having these struggles and they seem to keep not being able to get better, that's where if you haven't already enlisted the help of a sports medicine physician, it's helpful to have someone take a look at that from that whole body perspective, because it is really crucial. Because if you don't pick up on those other things, likely you're going to repeat the same problem over and over again.
1: Without a doubt. People have asked me a lot about jumps. Is there a certain number of jumps that puts people at risk a certain number of hits? And unlike in baseball where reasonable data and pitch counts have been established, we don't have those with volleyball yet. There are some devices that will allow athletes to record the number of jumps, even the height of the jump. Uh, And we're still trying to establish even at the national team level where those work into our paradigm. But Definitely if an athlete is approaching and hitting the ball long or hitting the ball high because they're fatigued, those are signs that we need to look out for. So it's looking at the whole body. It's looking at the training program, making sure they're sleeping well, they're getting their eight hours, making sure they're getting plenty of good nutrition to help them recover from the next day's activity.
0: I really think the next couple of decades are going to be really interesting for us in sports medicine as we get more and more comfortable with the wearable devices and things like that to really monitor those types of things. You know, obviously, we're going to see a lot of that information and data come out of the professional athletes and then trickle down to collegiate athletes. And then if something can be marketable at a reasonable price, we'll see it happen at the youth level and adolescent level. But, boy, I, you know, there, there is some potential there as far as being able to help do stuff. But, you know, there's also the converse of that, too, is where we over rely on all this data and we get so hyper-focused on things. I see this happen all the time you know, with my daughter's cross-country team where they're focusing on you know, what was their time for that particular workout rather than going by how they felt during the workout. And there's so much overemphasis on the numbers rather than just overall general feel. So I think there's, there's, a, there's a two-edged sword here with, the, with those types of devices and information.
1: No doubt, no doubt. I mean, information can be helpful, but you also have to interpret it, who's gonna take the time to do it and translate it to the athlete, translate it to the coach. So we have much to learn
0: We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about volleyball injuries. You're listening to a podcast hosted on The Podcast Matrix. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at whatisthepodcastmatrix.com. Dr. Mark Halstead here. Do you like what you're hearing on the Healthy Young Athlete podcast? If you want to learn how your business, organization, or effort can benefit from my growing audience of engaged parents and dedicated coaches of young athletes, connect with us and let's have a conversation. You can reach out to us at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com.
1: Thought about a career in voiceover? Need a great cost-effective on-hold message for your organization or business? Don't know where to start? Check out The Voice Farm your one-stop shop for voiceover needs. Check it all out now by accessing The Voice Farm at voicefarmers.com and see what difference can be made with a company that is truly outside the box. From The Voice Box, voicefarmers.com. That's voicefarmers.com.
0: Welcome back to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. We're talking with Dr. Chris Koutouris a team physician for USA Volleyball, here to talk to us more about volleyball injuries. Moving up, we'll go to the shoulder now. You touched a little bit on the shoulder and how that can have a role in lower back issues, but we certainly know that there's a lot of shoulder motion, a lot of shoulder movement, and pain and overuse in the shoulder is a frequent area that volleyball players complain about. In any overhead athlete, we find that you know, having to use your arm away from your body up over your head there's risk for traumatic injuries there's risk for overuse injuries, particularly the overuse injuries for our volleyball players. Tell us about the shoulder and what things we need to be thinking about in those athletes
1: you know I think logically you assume that if somebody's right handed they're going to have a predominance of right shoulder issue and that makes sense because that's the arm that they hit or serve with but you have to remember they're putting their left arm up to block. They're often putting their left arm in a position to serve the ball to themselves before they serve. And then there's also diving and playing defense. So we tend to see both shoulders influenced in volleyball. There's the overuse and just repetitive hits. How many times you can go up to the net and hit? How many times you can be serving from the back line? There's more traumatic. If I dive and I don't roll effectively and I land directly on my shoulder, I can do what's called a separation or damage to the collarbones, it hits the shoulder girdle. So, there's a couple different mechanisms we see there. If we look at the volleyball shoulders, also a unique injury we see actually more in the sand or outdoor game than we do in the indoor, where there's loss of muscle definition around the shoulder blade and it can lead to weakness, but about 30% of national level sand volleyball players have this muscle loss. And when you look at them, you think there's no way this player can play volleyball. Then you put them on the court and they can bring it like nobody else. So it's a concern and especially a concern if I see it at the high school or lower level, but it may be quote unquote, more of a normal finding at the higher level, definitely worth looking into. But it also just reminds us that the repetitive nature of the swinging and the hitting and the serving can definitely cause damage, not just to the bone and joints, but also some of the nerves that influence the muscle function.
0: It's an important point to make is that that sometimes can be an overlooked problem, but it is something that we, we tend to see more frequently in volleyball players is that the problem that you're referring to this compression of the nerve that can affect your muscle strength. And and I, I think it is something that's just overlooked. You know, A lot of times if people are looking at someone in the office, they may go through simple motion, They may test their strength and it doesn't seem like it's that bad, but then you actually physically look at them and you're like, wow, there's really a difference here side to side in what's going on with these muscles. And if you don't look at that, you may overlook that problem and you may not be able to fix the problem the way you need to.
1: No doubt. And the classic will be the athlete who comes in and if you check the rotator cuff, everybody's worried they've got a rotator cuff injury. And these athletes probably do have limitations in certain rotator cuff motions mostly bringing the arm away from the body or maybe rotating the arm outward. So you put them on a rotator cuff strengthening program, four weeks go by, they don't get better. That's when you probably wanna take a look at the back of the shoulder. If you see a side to side difference or the athlete says, hey, everybody's telling me I've got no muscle over there. Then we look at that particular nerve issue.
0: And talk about that a little bit for our listeners because I, you know, I I'm sure you're the exact same way as I am when the first thing that someone comes in as an adolescent or younger into my office and the parents, their biggest concern when their kid is having shoulder problems is they've torn their rotator cuff. And and again, the rotator cuff, it's a group of four muscles that help surround around your shoulder. The main primary job is to hold the arm onto the socket, but it helps us with overhead activities and being able to do that rotating motion, which is hence the rotator cuff part of that. But Have you found a significant problem with rotator cuff tears in your young athletes and adolescents?
1: Under the collegiate level, almost never. If anything, we're going to find that there are mechanical issues that make the rotator cuff not function as well. There could be tightness at the front of the chest where muscles like one of the bicep heads and the pec minor attached to the shoulder girdle. If that's tight, that's going to narrow certain areas where one of the rotator cuff muscles called the supraspinatus works We're going to see tightness in the back of the shoulder. This is an athlete who has almost no follow through. That's going to alter how the rotator cuff muscles work. So if we can address those type of things, we address how the shoulder blade makes the joint with a rib cage. If we can address those three things, almost every time the rotator cuff muscles will start to function better. And it doesn't mean they need surgery. It doesn't mean they need to have somebody go in and fix anything. Invasively, it means we just got to work on the mechanics from a rehab standpoint.
0: We can't forget about the hands and fingers. Whenever a ball is involved, there's always the potential for the ball to hit the tip of a finger or bend a finger back unexpectedly. What are some of the common finger issues we may see in a volleyball athlete?
1: Gosh, about three years ago, I remember doing intake physicals for our women's national team, and we had a run of about four or five athletes who had pinky injuries. In fact, they all had their phones out; they were comparing them, and some of these were pretty gnarly—multiple fractures. Usually, we don't. Fix these things, but these all had to be fixed. And it was because, of course, they're trying to get that pinky out to get as much surface area to block. So sometimes we see that poor pinky just get nailed because it's hanging out there with no support. Some of our athletes have learned to just tape the pinky to the ring finger, even though it limits how much blocking they can do. They'd rather have that than an injury. Another injury that we see that's really hard to treat is there will be tears of the skin between the fingers, often from a ball coming at high force. Once that skin is torn, you can stitch it, it doesn't heal. You can try to give it time, it takes forever. So we try to teach athletes, if you're going to be doing a lot of finger spread, get some moisturizer, really keep the area between the fingers good and moist, there's less risk of a tear at that level. And then yes, we see other types of fractures, especially at the tips from blocking and the technique the coaches like to teach, we try to keep your hands somewhat flexible can help reduce those injuries.
0: And we can't forget about the head. So concussions. Another problem we see unfortunately a lot in volleyball, it is the one of the more high time loss injuries from volleyball. We see that usually the the most common mechanism of a concussion having from volleyball is being struck with the ball, contact with the ball. But what should our volleyball players, coaches, and athletes be aware of when we think about concussions as far as recognizing this injury and what we really need to be doing appropriately when it happens?
1: You know, I always talk about ball control. If we can control ball placement, we can control our drills and how we put athletes on the court. We can probably cut volleyball concussions by 50% or more. So these aren't concussions that are happening during competitive player practice. These are when kids are in hitting lines. These are when kids are serving in both directions. Somebody's going to chase a ball, they get hit. I've had kids try to throw the ball into the cart. It bounces off the cart, hits somebody. I've had kids turn their head or even parents turn their head at the court and get hit. So awareness of where the balls are, limiting the number of balls, everybody hit in one direction. Then you go chase the balls, pick them up, start to hit back the other direction. If I'm going to put a defensive player a libero out and multiple people are going to hit at him or her, that's not a great situation because inevitably two balls are going to come at the same time. So we can look at just the environment that we set up. We can greatly reduce those accidental concussions that are eminently frustrating. Once you get to actual match play, uh, it's tougher for the defensive player because often if the balls hit through a block or there is no block, they're at higher risk. Some of our younger players who like to dive into objects on and off the quarter at higher risk. And then even at the net, if somebody is trying to block and the ball maybe gets shot at an odd angle, that can hit somebody. Some of those things we can't prevent as much. But again, it's the pre-competition ones that I really like to focus on prevention.
0: You know, you mentioned all the the errant balls. I've got a great story about this and it's not so great for the athlete, but I had a I had a girl I saw in my office who came to me for repetitive concussions that she sustained in volleyball. And eventually we got to the point where this was just this was problematic enough that we we collectively decided her parents and and she and I that it was probably time to be done with the sport. So she opted to be the team manager instead, and I saw her three additional times. After she had actually retired from playing volleyball because of concussions she sustained, just being there as a team manager, not being aware of what happened and the ball coming and hitting her in the head. I was like astounded. I like what kind of magnet does she have in her head to draw this ball to her head multiple times, even when just kind of hanging out there as a manager, but it just goes to show you you have to have awareness for these types of things of what's going on around you. And that's one of the things I try and emphasize with athletes when they're recovering from concussion is I prefer them not to be directly on the sideline or in the line of practice area, just because it is too risky for them to get hit again in that area there. But if they do want to be at practice, because I understand the value of being around their teammates, I'll put them up in the bleachers or somewhere a little bit away from the action, just so we don't put them at risk for that type of thing. But uh, she was by far the most impressive of of future concussions, unrelated to actual active participation in play.
1: Yeah, it's such a shame. There are those kids who are targets, and you know, in the volleyball world, if we go to some of the tournaments when everything's full go, you can have you know eighteen courts and very little space between the courts, and it's just a situation. Parent, I've had parents get hit. I've had coaches get hit. So. I think everybody who's intimately near a volleyball court, if there's a ball in play. You better be ready.
0: That's right. It's rapid fire, duck and cover for sure. <laughs> well, let's finish up with something that maybe we don't talk about enough, but certainly could be an issue. And again, from a preventative standpoint and something that I see kind of gets done less and less and less with some of the volleyball players is is something we call traumatic bursitis. And that could be things like the elbows or the knees. A key reason that we want to have things like pads on the elbows or knees. Can you talk a little bit about those problems?
1: If you're going to be diving on the wood court, the wood's going to win every time. And oftentimes you try to roll, you try to slide a bit. That way there's not as much that direct impact, but obviously that can't always happen. So we'll have, especially again, our defensive specialist, our liberos come in with swelling of fluid filled sacks around the elbow and around the knee from just repetitively hitting that hard court. We don't see it as much, of course, in the sand world. That's where athletes start to wear forearm braces, elbow braces, and/ or knee pads. and there are particular knee pads that are more designed for the volleyball athlete. They allow them as much freedom of movement because some athletes don't want to wear braces because they feel just awkward. Some teams have even started to mandate that all the players wear them that way. the defensive players don't feel like they're being picked on. And then it's just a technical thing. If you can learn how to slide more, that can make a difference if people are, Hopefully, between points, trying to get the towels down to get rid of extra sweat, so You're not slipping or you're not suddenly stopping when you try to dive. That can make a difference. But yes, you want to protect the skin. And that actually brings up another point more for the outdoor players. Uh, when I first started covering sand at volleyball at the elite level, I realized that if I ever need advice on sunscreen products, these are the people to go to. They know... <laughs> the different types. They know which ones are better for the face, which ones are better for the hands, which ones are better for cloudy days, which ones aren't going to run. Amazing. So if you ever have questions about skincare products in the sun for your athlete, find your local elite outdoor volleyball player. They'll have the answers.
0: There you go. That's probably our best pearl of this whole uh, uh, episode we are. here is is the sun, sun care and the skincare And you can tell me if you have as much of this as a concern as, as, as I do in Missouri, it seems like it's an epidemic when I, when I have a kid come into my office, a volleyball player who's landed on their knee and may not get bursitis. They've just really banged up their kneecap really hard on the floor. And if you start digging in and asking them a little bit more, well, do you wear knee pads? And well, where do you wear your knee pad? And it's always not in the spot where you'd expect it to be to help assist them. Do you have that problem with your volleyball athletes in Southern California as I do in Missouri?
1: You know, I do, they like to wear them below the knee because again, it restricts motion if they wear them in the proper position. Now, once they've had a direct impact to the knee and they can't move the knee, they realize that's really restricted motion. So sometimes they convert to wearing them the proper way. But yeah, ideally put the knee pad on in the right position and it's going to reduce the risk of having to see me, having to see Mark and keeping you on the court. So I always tell the kids, our goal is to try to keep you on the court.
0: Yeah. I think that's the big thing we always try and emphasize is that's our goal is not to keep them out and that, which is oftentimes the hesitance of them coming into someone like you or I is they think that our our goal is to keep them out of their sport, but it's exactly just the opposite. And, you know, we try and stress with them that, you know, if you maybe had come to see us a little bit earlier, we may have been able to do something to make you not have hurt as long as you have, rather than you trying to manage it on your own. So.
1: Right. Or if you've got a big tournament coming up in four weeks, come and see me four weeks before, not four days before. We can do some great yeah. things. We've got great colleagues, but we don't have our magic wand. So the more time that you can allow your sports medicine team to support you, the better off you're going to be.
0: Now, Chris, you have a strong presence out there on the internet. I know you you do a lot of active things with videos and education, and I'd certainly like to let our listeners know about where they can find you and your videos. Can you tell us a little bit about your internet and social media presence?
1: Well, my practice is Active activekidmd, A C T I V E K I D M D dot com. That's our website. And actually, if you go there, you can find our Facebook page. You can find that we're on Instagram at activekidmd. Twitter is dockaturis, D O C K O U T U R E S. And I always appreciate people telling me, hey, I've read your stuff, really like what you're doing. If you got questions, you got comments we'd like to hear them. Our goal is to provide information, partner with athletes, partner with families and coaches, educate and learn and try to, again, it's like we said, try to keep athletes active and on the court.
0: Yeah. Chris has got some great stuff out there. So I encourage you to check out those things. We'll have links to all those things as far as all the different social media channels, his website. So you can certainly get that through our show notes. So be sure to check out our show notes. I'd really like to thank Dr. Chris Couture for joining us today. His insight has been tremendous. And as I mentioned earlier, it's always great to have a fellow Wisconsin Badger on the program with me. Please check out our entire podcast library at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com. You can find us through your favorite podcast streaming site and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And please leave us feedback to help us get the word out. Thanks for taking the time to listen today. I'm Dr. Mark Halsted, your host, and this has been the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. Thank you for joining us today for the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast. We hope you'll join us for future episodes. Please review our podcast and spread the word about us. You can find our full episode library at healthyyoungathletepodcast.com. This is Dr. Mark Halstead, and you've been listening to the Healthy Young Athlete Podcast.